We are in a series called Distractions, and uh, sometimes when we get into a series, there'll be a certain topic um, that we are going to touch on that really hits me hard, and I start formulating what a series would be like just on that topic. So this happened when we were talking about our question series. We were asking the question or answering the question when Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And when I was preaching that particular sermon, or at least preparing for that sermon, I realized we need to go over some of the questions that Jesus asks. And so that, that birthed this whole series called the questions series, which I'm very creative. And, um, and, and so this morning, we're going to touch on a topic that um, I've already begun to try to flesh out to be another series later on down the road, maybe four or six weeks, because the topic's so huge. And what we've been talking about in distractions is that there's these things that get in our way or that distract us from God. And oftentimes, the things we're trying to go for with that distraction are actually handled by God already. If we would just turn our eyes back towards him and away from this distraction, we would answer the question or solve the problem that we're trying to solve through the distraction. I know it's a long-winded way of saying They keep us from God. And so we've talked about our past and how regret, we can just be mired in regret, whereas Christ removes our past from us. He doesn't, we don't forget it, and there are some consequences that might stay, but he forgives us. He redeems our past. We've talked about how we might get into the the distraction of um, um, comparing ourselves with others. Instead of turning to Christ and seeing that our value doesn't come from what we have or how smart we are or where we went on vacation, okay? And we've talked about consumerism, that things oftentimes keep us from God, whereas God says those things, moth and rust, they're going to destroy, but uh, a relationship with him is what brings peace and what brings true joy. This morning, we are going to touch on, and we're going to touch on it again next week, the problem of pain, Pain and suffering. Now, um, I preach for usually about 35 minutes. There is no way that I'm going to solve your philosophical problems with why there's pain. But what I want to do in the brief time that we have together is talk about historically how we have as a a human race dealt with this topic. Talk a little bit about where we are now in Western thought and in America And then talk about why I believe uh, that God uh, uh, can be loving and can be all-powerful and still allow us to go through pain. Because that becomes really the question we've all asked. Have you ever asked that to yourself? You say, and, 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 and you see something on television or you see a family member going through something tragic. And I, I mean tragic. And your thought process is, man, God, where are you? I looked on our database. We've been tracking prayer requests uh, on our ch- with our church now for four years. A week ago, it'll be four years. And I, we counted up, or the, at least the computer did, 3,600 prayer requests that you guys have turned in on those, uh, on those cards that you turn in. We pray for those, every single one of them, every single week. 3,600. And for those of us who are on the prayer team, some of those things that you've been so courageous to share, have been devastating, very painful. I can speak for myself only, but I'm almost positive that other people on this prayer chain have sat with those and wept over them. 
Because they're painful. The loss of loved ones, things like that. Why? Why, God? Where were you in that situation? Well, I'm not going to do a great job of answering that question, but I'm going to share with you what I believe and what I think Scripture teaches. And I'm going to share with you um, what others have believed, and I'm going to share with you what the main part of America or where America is going, the, the belief in secular humanism. And I won't be berating that or mocking it or anything. I understand why someone would believe where we are going. I understand why. It makes sense to some extent. How can we be around all this pain and suffering and still worship a loving God? Um, A lot of what I'm going to be sharing with you this morning has come out of a book uh, by Timothy Keller called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And if you are going through a very painful period in your life right now, I would encourage you to get that book. It's uh, it's in three sections. I'm going to talk primarily about the first section, which is the historical and theological ideas about uh, pain and suffering. But in, in section two and in section three, he talks about how to face pain and suffering. And then in section three, he talks about how to get through it. The other thing I wanted to mention, be here next week. Uh, because we're going to talk about, this will be the theological part, this will be the heavy lifting, and next week we're going to have Dr. Heather Brown on stage with us, and uh, we'll be talking about not only how to get through pain and suffering, because her and her family have certainly had their fair share of that, but how we can help others around us get through pain and suffering. So next week would be a great time to invite somebody to listen to that interview. I don't know how long it might go. It might take up the entire sermon as we just talk about the practical ways that us as Christ followers or us who are maybe stepping for the first time into our journey of faith uh, can deal with this really heavy topic. So let's get going. I've uh, preached this sermon many times already this week, and uh, I still can't keep it under 35 minutes. I'll do my best. Uh, and it's, when I get to the end, it still seems like I haven't really said anything. So you can be the judge of that. But uh, here we go. The idea that there is a loving God and, uh, and that there's evil, that those two things can't exist, is a new thought process. In, uh, in ancient humanity, uh, there were basically four schools of thought, and none of them uh, just dismissed God altogether. Uh, this, this comes about now that we're, we've entered into modernity or the postmodern era. This belief this, that, that you can't have evil and an all-loving God is relatively new. And so I wanted to show you what some of these are, and you'll notice them. A little bit, and you might notice them in your own belief system that you've you've adopted some of these views. Um, the fir- and so the first one's moralistic. This means that bad things happen because you're bad. <laughs> so so uh, you do something bad, and so it's going to come back to you. That's where we get the the whole idea of karma, and you've probably heard that that you're not going to escape your badness. You think you might, but when you die and you come back, you're going to come back as a snail. And someone's going to step on you to have you pay for what you did uh, in your cubicle. Okay, so that's, that's the way it all goes. And then that feels pretty good because you know that guy who cut you off, you just know in your heart he's going to get his. Okay, and you, you just know he might come back as a snake. But that's moralistic. Okay, the, the next one 
is self-transcendent. This is the idea that bad things happen uh, not in reality, that there, there's another realm, that you, you can get to a transcendent state, that, that, that our whole physical body and everything doesn't really exist. And that's where we get um, some of these. And th- these aren't, th- these, this is not an exhaustive list, and the examples I've given don't quite uh, do it justice, but that's where we get a lot of Buddhist type of thinking, that you can kind of transcend all that. And then there's fatalistic, and um, even some sects of Christianity have a fatalistic uh, model of God, and that is that the it's just been set into motion and there's nothing you can do. Um, Islam has very strong fatalistic tendencies. Uh, if it's Allah's will, then it's, that's what it's going to be. Uh, not, and, and, and so you're willing to do whatever uh, in some forms of it not all uh, most of islam is uh, relatively calm but there's a sense that if you do, you just don't whatever happens that's what allah wanted and then there's dualistic which is just the fight between good and evil there's these there's just good and there's evil and there's a fight and so bad things happen uh uh um, because of that. And so the cause, the cause of these evil things in a moralistic view is wrongdoing. You've done something wrong, so you're going to get something wrong happen to you. And self-transcended, it's just an illusion anyway, and that's how it's explained away that way. In a fatalistic one, it's destiny, and then in a dualistic uh, expression, it's cosmic conflict. So the response to, against uh, suffering, what you do when there's suffering, in a moralistic, you do good, in a, um, a self-transcendent, you, you, um, you detach um, from reality, although you'd really be calling it you detach from the illusion into reality. Uh, and a fatalistic, you just endure it because that's what the gods wanted. And then in a dualistic sense, you have purified faithfulness. So you're just trying to be on the good side of the war of good and evil. Here's the resolution. In a moralistic, you get eternal bliss. Congratulations. You made it through snail. You made it through snake. Uh, you made it to be a puppy, which I don't know. Maybe that's probably what you end up as, a puppy. Eternal bliss. Uh, self-transcendent, uh, you have enlightenment. And so now you begin to see everything for what it really is. You're out of the illusion. For fatalistic, you have glory and honor. You've, 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 you've held up under this fatalistic God who's just set out pain and suffering for you. And then dualistic is the triumph of the light. There are many Americans and many people around us that have ideas of that as it comes to pain and suffering. But the majority or, or the main cultural push you will feel uh, in the coming decades is the idea of uh, secular humanism. Now, secular humanism believes that everything you see is it. We happen by chance whether by Big Bang or evolution or whatever, something happened by chance and we are all here by chance and everything you can actually see is real. There is no spirit realm. There is no afterlife, either good or bad. There's nothing. This is what there is. Now, if you're here and you're a secular humanist, I get it. I totally get it. I'm not mocking that belief. I don't judge you for that belief. I get it. There's, when you encounter pain and suffering, that would be a natural belief. And so here's what it says, that the cause of pain and suffering is just accident, okay? Um, The response is a technique. 
And so when you encounter uh, um, pain and suffering, there's certain techniques you can adopt that will help mitigate that. But there's no way you can stop it. It happened by accident, but you can mitigate it. Because especially in Western thought, and especially in America in our day, the goal, the goal of human existence is to be happy. Anything that stands in the way of being happy is bad. Being happy is good. And so personal freedom, my, pers- my ability to do whatever I want, is at the highest level. So I can, I can, I can pick, as long as I'm not imposing on your, on your personal belief, what I want is at the highest level. And the goal, or the resolution, is a better society. Now, if you believe this uh, uh, particular viewpoint, it's understandable, especially now, because we're just getting so much information so fast. We are in a postmodern age. I remember growing up, there were nine planets. That's what I knew. There were nine planets. Then, like a couple years ago, uh, they got rid of Pluto, okay? (laughs) Now, the planet Pluto doesn't look like that. Uh, Well, depending on the microscope. But... um, but they were saying that it's not, it's not enough to be a planet. And I don't know about you, but that like completely rocked my world. And so in that, in the, you know, the um, uh, astronomy community, they were arguing over whether it's a planet and whether it's not. And all the astronomers who had like a Pluto tattoo were like, please let it be a planet. I just, you know, whatever. Um, and, and so they decided to name it uh, a dwarf planet, right? And so, so there was all this, all this thing. Last month, they found 1,300 planets. 1,300 more planets. Like, planets are like rodents. They're everywhere. Like, like eight, uh, who cares who, what, how many planets we have? They're, they're everywhere. Like, they're not even special anymore. It's like Jupiter. Huh. You know, it's like, it's like we're just gaining so much information. So I, I decided to do a little thing about uh, just, uh, I became a secular humanist for a day. And, uh, and, and just kind of wanted to see what it felt like to believe this. And I, it was hard for me because I believe in Jesus, so it kind of ruins everything. But I, I went on uh, Google, and I looked up NASA New Planets, and in 0.53 seconds, um, I found this. Now, this is disappointing because it's an artist's rendition, uh, which is like, why even do that? But, uh, but I wanted to find out about planets. So I found that picture, and I found a link, and I learned about the 1300 planets, and it felt fantastic. I felt smarter. I felt like I might actually even be an astronomer, okay? And so I, I decided, well, I'd like to learn about the eye. In 0.67 seconds, I got a diagram of the eye, and I, I, I figured out how the eye works. Now, just hold on for a second. Can you imagine, and some of you are, are, have, have more life experience than others, uh, what this was like 100 years ago, 70 years ago, 50 years ago, that we are becoming people who can have information right at our fingertips. I wanted to look up the human brain, and so I looked up, I typed in new brain discoveries, and in 0.4 seconds, I got this picture, which is disgusting. It's the difference between a mouse brain and a human brain. And so uh, yours looks more like the one on the right. And uh, it has all these crevices because, or crevices because it increases brain mass, which makes us smarter, most of us, than mice. And, uh, and so I just, I just, now I'm a neurologist. Like, I just felt powerful. 
endorphins were firing and dopamine was being released and it just felt like I was I was just smarter than everybody and then I read an article which made me even smarter and this is where we are now how with all this information about the planets and all this kind of stuff doesn't it feel like we can maybe stop suffering on our own like if we just had the right people in government or, or did the right thing that humanity could get together and and put it all back into order the fact of the matter is we can't and we won't and even if you take an evolutionist view of the creation of the universe we're gonna always struggle with mutation and we're always gonna struggle with survival of the fittest the our species is going to want to excel over any other species if you believe that and so we're stuck well here's what I believe when you start out with the premise, which was very popular back in the 80s, um, of is how can there be a loving God um, and, and, uh, and how can there be evil, that those two are incompatible. Um, it was popular for a while. It's not so much anymore because uh, some philosophers, very smart philosophers, have come up with this idea that that God is infinite. And once you insert an infinite, all-wise, all-present God our particular form of logic goes away. Now, for the secular humanist or wherever you are in all that, I understand that's not fair, okay? I realize that. And that's why I didn't say I was going to prove the existence of God this morning. I wasn't going to disprove uh, the existence of God as well. But if you have an infinite God, there very well could be an infinite, all-loving God that because of his superior knowledge, because of his superior power, because, uh, the, the, and, and I'm going to use the God that's described in the Bible, he knows that it is okay to have pain and suffering. It's possible. Now, what, how do we wrap our head around this God? And how do we bring that God into our lives so that we can understand what he's really like. How do we wrap our head around really bad things happening in this world? I mean, couldn't God have just created just this wonderful place where everybody's naked and they're running around and they're having sex and eating really good food? He, it's called the Garden of Eden. He did it, uh, okay? And, and that's, that's what took place. Uh, it's what I believe. Um, and we, because of who we are had the one thing we couldn't do, and we did it. And that's what is, our, is where our free will is made up. And so God can do it. Now, you could push back on me and say, well, God made heaven, right? And that place we're not going to sin, correct? Yes, but at that point, we will be in eternity. And so the way we think will be much different than we are now. So let's take a look at why I believe what I believe. In the book of John, John was a disciple of Jesus, and uh, John was using very, what they call Gnostic terminology when he wrote the book of John. This is, he was talking to Greeks, okay? And so he was writing in Greek. And so the Greeks believed um, their idea of pain and suffering was that there was this logos that was the entire, it made up everything that existed. And when you died, all that happened was you would just go back to the Logos. The Logos uh, required you in another form or in, an, in another thing. And it's much more complicated than that. Again, I'm sorry. I, we just don't have the time to go through it. 
Watch what John says. And this is very interesting. And again, it won't change your mind if you don't believe what I believe, but um, it helps me. He says, in the beginning was the word. And John reaches in and grabs one of those Greek terms. He grabs one of their concepts of the logos or logos, or I probably should have figured out how it's pronounced, but uh, it means the word. In the beginning was the logos. And so if you were Greek and reading this, you would be nodding your head. Yeah, that's right. That's the whole universe. And that was in the beginning and all that. And the logos or the word was with God, fine, and the word was God. Okay, they would, they would be struggling with that because they wouldn't have called it God. But they might just say, okay, so that's your version of God. And then everything goes off the rails. He was with God in the beginning. Well, who's he? I mean, who, what, if you were reading this for the first time, I mean, if you're a Christian, you probably have guessed the answer. Uh, but if you were reading this for the first time, you'd go, wait, wait a minute. He was with God in the beginning, but he was God and he was with God. John begins to introduce this terminology of the Trinity, language we cannot even begin to understand. Because when we talk about an infinite God, we don't have the words. We don't have the brain capacity to understand what he's really like. He was with God in the beginning. And watch, he goes further. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And then watch this. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. Here are the tenets kind of of what I believe as it relates to pain and suffering. I didn't put up here because they're kind of long. One is that we have a wise, infinite God who is in control, maybe not controlling everything. In other words, like if my arm goes like this, God didn't do that. I did that myself. But he's in control, maybe not controlling, that things are not random, but they're also not necessarily planned out from the beginning. And so if I go up and I punch you in the face, did God uh, plan that from the beginning? I don't know. Number two is that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came and suffered. He could have stopped his own suffering, but chooses not to. Number three, God is for us, and we can have a relationship with him. Suffering is not punishment. It's something that is allowed. Number four, we will be resurrected, and all suffering will be put into an eternal and therefore more accurate perspective. My premise is this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and nothing was created, nothing that we can see, nothing that we can touch, taste, that wasn't created by Him, that we are God's creation. And that in His sovereignty and in His uh, understanding, evil and suffering is allowed. Now, why Am I not angry at that God? Why am I not angry? It goes on in 1 John. It says, the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. In other words, this God that created everything, that nothing existed without, that existed before time, that is infinite, that knows all things, knows the thoughts and intentions of our heart, knows all the different possibilities of how the world can come around, that particular God shines in the darkness. 
Now, how in the world, in the midst of my suffering, and we'll be talking more about this next week, do we have Christ shining in the darkness? Well, one of the great uh, things about the, that book I mentioned earlier, Timothy Keller, in um, uh, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, is the stories at the end of each chapter about people who have actually gone through pain and suffering. Because it's one thing to uh, make hypothetical pain and suffering. And, um, you know, uh, you see something on the news and you say, oh, I don't know how I would go through something like that. But that's not really experiencing God in the darkness. You have to go through the darkness. And there are some who go through the darkness and that causes them to reject God altogether because it's just too painful. And I understand that. And if that's you, I'm sorry. But my premise is this, that the God who created the universe, that somehow through these trials that he is allowing, even in his sovereignty and loving, we can find him in a way we would not have found him before. Now, I know the pushback is, well, that just seems cruel. But you're not infinite. I'm not infinite. So I know this, as we go through pain and suffering, I have a safety net in Christ Jesus. Now, why am I not mad at that God? And here's the story I want to share with you this morning that I think for me is the crux of getting to the heart of who our Heavenly Father is, to get to the heart of God even in the midst of suffering. The other thing I wanted to mention real quick for next week, um, we'll have our interview, um, and then we're going to have a little bit of time at the end of the service for if you're going through something very painful or you are suffering through something, to come forward and we're going to have people that can pray for you. And uh, in some cases, uh, there will be healing that takes places, in place. In other uh, cases, th- there may be circumstances that don't ch- change, except you feel this light that shines through the darkness. You experience God in a, in a really neat way. So um, I would encourage you to, to just be courageous and be faithful and, and be here next week and uh, take advantage of that time. So Jesus goes through life and for all accounts that we can see in the Bible, he lives a perfect life. So if it were karma, uh, he would already uh, have made it. He would or- already be there. If it was transcend, uh, self-transcendent uh, uh, thoughts, he would already be detached. He would already be, he would have, he would have gotten to uh, enlightenment. If he were... In a uh, fatalistic thing, this was God's man. He couldn't have sinned anyway. This was just the way uh, the gods or God did it. But he, he wasn't any of those. God, this loving God, who allowed suffering, placed himself in suffering. To me, this is the crux of my theology of why I can believe in a loving God who somehow uses evil or somehow uses pain in a way I cannot understand, is that he himself, in Philippians says, he humbled himself. Although he existed in the form of God, and he could have stayed up there, and he could have been removed from all that, humbled himself, and took the form of a bondservant. He emptied himself. And he came down on our planet with us, God in the flesh, And he suffered too for us. I want to read an account of this. Um, We all know of the suffering of his death. 
And that, uh, we call that the passion. That, that there was a, uh, he was beaten. Uh, he was spit on. He was wrongly accused. He was placed upon a cross. And his hands and his feet were pierced for us. Uh, many of us, probably all of us, won't go, go through something quite like that. But we might go through the thing that happened beforehand. Jesus was, went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And I, I love this language because what started in the garden and what was ruined in the garden, we're now back at another garden. It's almost like we've come full circle. That, and, and the Bible even talks about this language, what happened with Adam and Eve, the sin that started now comes full circle and we're in another garden where Jesus is. To a place called Gethsemane, he said to them, Sit here while I go over and pray. And so he sits these disciples down and he picks Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, uh, James and John, and along with him. And he began to feel pain. He began to feel suffering. The infinite God of the universe our loving Heavenly Father, somehow, in some way, some Trinitarian thing that I can't wrap my head around, joins us, allowing himself to suffer. He becomes sorrowful and troubled. And while this might not be a philosophical argument to get you out of uh, secular humanism, if you are going through some pain or suffering or sorrow, you have a God who completely understands where you're at. I I know the temptation is, because it's been with me as well, the temptation is, then why doesn't he take it away? Well, let's keep reading. Along with him, he began uh, to, uh, uh, to be sorrowful and troubled, And he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. This God of the universe in human flesh is feeling it all at this moment. Stay here and keep watch with me. And we're going to touch on this a little bit next week when we talk about how to stay with somebody and keep uh, watch with them as they're going through something. So he, he says, stay with me. Going a little far, farther, he fell on his face to the ground. And he said, my father, this is God in the flesh talking to God in the spirit. I don't know how this works. And I understand that the theology is a heavy lift and it's a stretch. But if it's true, if in fact there can be a loving God that allows suffering, and this loving God went through suffering, this is amazing to me. He falls and he prays, is there any way, if possible, may this cup be taken from me? In other words, can, can you take the evil away? Can you take the pain away? Can there be uh, another situation? Can you erase it? Can we start over? Can, can, you, can we make up a world where I'm not going to face what I think I'm going to face? And then the God of the universe in human form says the words that I anchor my entire relationship with God on when I go through suffering. And it doesn't really help 
the situation. But for some reason, I meet God there. He says these words, yet not as I will, but as you will. And in this moment, Jesus, God in the flesh, says, I understand you to be a loving God. I understand you to be an infinite God. I understand you to be an all-powerful God. I understand that if you will, you could take this away. But I also understand that if you do not will, it is still good. Isn't that hard? Good night, that's hard. I am so thankful that I have an example in God of how to get through it. Well, he doesn't just stop there. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, May your will be done. I didn't do a good job, nor do I think I'd ever be able to do a good job of being able to prove the existence of God. I don't think secular humanism or any other thing does a very good job of disproving God. I think it's one of those things that, that we just, you know, where, where we're at. But here's, here's what I do know. Through the example of Jesus, I can marry evil in the world and an all-loving, all-knowing God. I think the premise that they're mutually exclusive is wrong on its face. And if it is wrong on its face, uh, it doesn't mean you have to believe the other way. But I know that through what Jesus did, through the garden, through the cross, dying for my sins, showing me that sometimes... For whatever reason, I don't know, pain and suffering has to be experienced. We're going to take a little bit of time. This was very heavy. And, um, and again, I realize, I, I hope, I pray that if you are here in the midst of your pain, you don't feel dismissed or think that I in any way want to diminish that pain or think that, you know, it's a good thing you're going through that because God, I hear you. We, I've been through things myself that I have prayed this exact same prayer out loud, very angry. And uh, God didn't choose at that time to fix it. And so I, I understand to some extent what, what that's like. I want to give us an opportunity now to hear from God, to give us a, an ability to just be quiet and, and, and go to him and say, Lord, and you can say whatever you want to him. He's a big boy. He can handle it to say, Lord, I don't want this to happen. But I would encourage you in just a little bit, just to, just to somehow just come out of your mouth, maybe silently, but not my will. Yours be done. And allow yourself the opportunity to meet him in your pain, to meet him in your suffering. And so we're, we're going to be quiet for a little bit, and um, we'll give ourselves some time. And then uh, uh, the worship band's going to come up. Seth and uh, Audra are going to come up. And they're going to sing a song that I had asked them to sing two weeks ago for this um, very time. And uh, the idea of the song goes back into one of the first things Jesus taught even knowing about his imminent death, 
Jesus said audacious things about suffering. He said, blessed are you when you're persecuted. Blessed are those who mourn. Just complete taking what we think about the world and turning it on its head. Jesus taught these things. And this song is one that um, uh, takes those ideas and, and, and puts it to song. So I'll pray for us. We'll take a, a couple minutes. And if, and if you uh, want to fill out your connection cards at this time or prepare your offering, and, uh, we can do that as well. Lord Jesus, uh, the idea of pain, the idea of suffering, nobody wants it. <laughs> you didn't want it. But Lord, would we be a people um, that would be able to get to the point where even in the midst of our toughest situations, even in the midst of our most anxious thoughts, even in the midst of our deepest pain, we could look up to heaven and say, not my will, but yours be done. Lord, help us to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen.